Greetings, we're Neil and Kathy. Greetings, we're Neil and Kathy Vonaria. Most people who know us, know us from our years in Papua New Guinea. We moved there to the rain jungle in 1988 and spent uh, our time learning the language, reducing it to writing, and translating the New Testament into their language. In 2013, we celebrated the arrival and distribution of the New Testament among the people. During those years, working in a remote tribal setting, we experienced firsthand the power of the Word of God to transform the lives of individuals, communities, and, and even, an, even a culture. So in 2015, it was the height of the refugee crisis, and there was a tremendous need for English-speaking workers in Sicily. Sicily is the southernmost tip of Europe, and it's the landing point for tens of thousands of refugees coming from uh, Asia and from Africa. Within a year, we were there in Sicily. We were working in the city of Maneo, just outside of uh, Europe's largest refugee camp. And we opened a ministry there called Casa di Refugio, which means House of Refuge. We opened the ministry center for Bible studies, sewing classes, and recreational activities to create a home away from home for our friends living in the camp. We talk with them about their stories. We seek a way to serve them. We assist them with, the tra with Italian translation and point friends to Jesus as we study scripture together. Our role is simply to remind them of this truth. Despite the horrors they have witnessed, they are seen, known, and loved by God. Though people were coming from many different nations and lands, uh, God is a solution for every language barrier. We gave each person who came to Casa di Refugio a small SD card containing the Jesus film, the Bible in their own language, and Christian music, all of this in their mother tongue. We began to share these uh, SD cards with other Christian workers and more than 9,000, together more than 9,000 copies of the scripture were distributed throughout Sicily and in Northern Africa. In 2018, we opened a second Casa de Refugio in the central Sicilian city of Caltanissetta, a city known for its large Islamic population. Then in 2019, when the Italian government closed the Maneo camp, we shifted all our efforts to the Caltanissetta location. As followers of Jesus, we serve our Muslim friends by teaching Italian, providing children's activities, shower and laundry facilities, and food for those who are in need. Again, through our friendship and prayer and sharing of the scriptures, we point to Jesus, who alone is our savior and our hope. Much of the world is closed to the gospel. But at this time, the Lord has chosen to create an incredible door of opportunity by bringing people from lands where we cannot speak freely about the name of Jesus to our very doorstep in Europe. Our prayer is that God's people will rise and join us in this hour when we have an opportunity to share the love of the Lord and that work together with us and pray together with us that to launch the next generation into the harvest. Good morning, church. Um, it is always great. Uh, it's always great to, to be with you, and we understand that after church, we're going bungee jumping. 
Um, Steve and Lori have arranged that for us. I guess that we're having soup, and, and um, Lori explained to me that the soup is served at the bottom, and we bungee jump down to the soup. It's not, you know, this is just an exciting place to come. What can I say? So we're really glad to be here this morning. Um, Thanksgiving is a great time, and of course, uh, in a year that would seem to have been filled with bad news, it's because the stuff God's doing doesn't make the front page, right? But, um, but it's still going on, and it is great. I love that God, is uh, that his very character is that he pursues us. And I love the story uh, of Zacchaeus. Here's Zacchaeus, and, and Zacchaeus is a short guy who climbs a sycamore tree and uh, in order for him to be able to see Jesus. And uh, he hasn't met Jesus before, but Jesus calls him by name and invites himself over to lunch. It's a very biblical thing to do. We'll be over. Um, you know, he invites himself to lunch at Zacchaeus' house. Now, people who are looking at this think to themselves, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. The guy is a loser. It seems to be a waste of time. They look at, as a, they look at him as a person with, like, zero future spiritual options, But Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, and he sees things from God's perspective. He sees a man who is desperately in need of everything that Jesus came to bring. Uh, Restoration to his identity as a child of God. uh, Healing for his spiritual life. The wholeness that comes. Everything that Jesus came to do is to take this man who others saw as broken and to restore him to wholeness and full access with the Father and eternal life. That's why Jesus came. At the end of that afternoon, Zacchaeus, of course, responded to Christ, and Jesus clarified his mission this way. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to restore us to the very purpose for which we created, which were lost in the garden by our sin. The refugee community to whom we minister consists of people who have just been through the worst that life can possibly throw your way. I mean, rejection, abuse, imprisonment, torture, trafficking, hunger, thirst. They've been set adrift on boats in the Mediterranean and more. They have just been cast aside. But like Zacchaeus, Jesus sees people who have been traumatized beyond all measure, and he sees people who are ready for the very purpose for which he came to be restored to their purpose in the creator. There is just one, I love the expression that God is the exploiter of evil. There is no circumstances so horrible that God cannot turn it around for the salvation or redemption of a person who puts, their, uh, puts those circumstances in their hands. And so the very, the very situations that force people out of their homes, uh, and, and, you know, people coming from Syria and whatnot, that, that, that is war. Most people who are coming from Africa came for... Um, because either they or somebody in their family likely was seeking economic uh, opportunity, and so they have crossed deserts and oceans to to, uh, escape their their home country, and they end up in Europe, where for many of them it's the first time they can actually hear about Christ freely, Um, because it can't be, in many countries, you can't speak about, you can't speak freely about the name of Jesus, but these people have been driven from a, a bad situation. Now, now they're refugees, which is not always a great situation, but they're in a country, they're in a place in Europe at our very doorstep where we have the access and the opportunity to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you about a couple of those people today before Neil comes. One is a, is a, a, a young girl, her name is Amina. She was raised in a Muslim home in Africa. And through her high school year, she met, she met some high schools, sorry, she met some uh, Christians in her, in her high school 
and she actually really enjoyed them. But eventually, like most high schools, you have to pay a school fee. This is true in Papua New Guinea. It's true in a lot of places in Africa. And they didn't have the money for her school fee, so she wasn't able to go anymore. And so her mother and her aunt, imagine the level of betrayal involved in this, her mother and her aunt made an agreement to, uh, with human traffickers for her to prostitute in Europe for money. So she was, um, she was uh, 17 or 18 years old, years old at the time that that happened. She was taken to a shrine. She made a juju oath, which is like a black magic oath that, you know, if she doesn't pay back the money to the traffickers, because she incurs a debt by them taking her across the desert to prostitute her for that, for her travel expenses, she supposedly owes them. And so she, she makes this with the agreement that if she doesn't pay back the money, she's going to go crazy and all these curses will come upon her. So the months that followed just included this, this brutal crossing of the Sahara Desert. She was actually taken into an area with um, soldiers from Niger where she refused, to, um, she refused to be cooperative. So they decided they'd just send her on to Europe and that she would meet a, her, uh, a trafficker there who would then take her to Turin. And uh, she was uh, uh, eventually, like everybody else, she was, she was placed in a rubber boat to cross, uh, to cross the Mediterranean. I think, you know, I know initially when I heard about people being trafficked across the Mediterranean, I sort of pictured people getting in boats and somebody actually, like, guiding them where they were going. But that's not what happens. People are, are put in these big rubber boats. No food, no water. Um, sometimes they only have one chamber. They pay extra if it has two chambers. Um, and they're basically given enough fuel to get, to get themselves to international waters to drift until they're picked up. That's actually how this works. And, a lot, and some people have told the stories about them going out and like taking the, um, taking the engine back off the boat, you know, and just letting people, people drift out there. And so uh, Amina eventually was picked up. And then she was brought to what at the time was the largest refugee camp uh, in Europe, which is at Caramaneo. She was only 20 years old at that time. Neil and I had uh, just uh, recently had opened a, uh, a ministry location at Caramaneo. We have, we have two, uh, we had two. And uh, we had a, opened a ministry center there. And uh, another Nigerian who was a Christian invited her to come up on a Saturday in which we were having a ladies' event. And this, of course, consisted of deep, meaningful things like painting your nails and I don't know, we were like painting our nails and doing cooking and doing crime. We weren't doing anything particularly, you know, deep and meaningful. But she had a good time because a refugee camp is, among all other things, incredibly boring. And um, she, she's a social person, and she, she came, and she had a good time. And then she started coming on Thursdays where we had time of, you know, games and talk, and it was a chance to get out of camp. Um, snacks and stuff, but then we had Bible study, and, and she started participating in Bible study, and as time went on, she just really became fascinated by the scriptures, because the scriptures continued to be life-changing for people. I'm going to quote her own words. You saw her picture. She was among those who was baptized, and she said of herself, I didn't know God was a personal God. I didn't know you could have a relationship with God. I knew it was real, but I didn't know him personally for myself. I came to Casa de Your Future, I started to read the Bible, and it changed me. We have such, uh, you know, you just saw one of the many beautiful photos of her just emerging from the water, just radiating. Um, but she really is a changed person. She, she, she told me one time, I was writing up a story of hers, and she said, you know, people died in the boat next to me, and I didn't even care. I was so hardened after that. And I look now, and I actually have compassion for other people in a way I didn't think was possible. Like her, Bintu is uh, another girl who was also raised 
in a Muslim uh, home. She's, she's named after one of the Prophet Muhammad's many wives. And when she was 17 years old, she was turned over to traffickers and forced to pay, her, pay off uh, this debt uh, in Libya. She, she worked uh, to pay off her traffickers. And uh, she was only seven, she was probably, I think, I believe she was in Libya for a year and a half, so she would have been 18 and a half or so at the time that she eventually, uh, her debt with the traffickers was resolved and she was put in a boat. And normally they assume they're going to traffic that girl again when she gets to, when she gets to Europe. Um, she was also uh, uh, set adrift, but it took three days before anybody found them. So three days, no food, no water, nothing on a boat, 18 and a half years old. And um, she said, when, when she said, when we were rescued, I just couldn't even believe that, that God let me live after all of that. Um, she also came up, um, she heard about uh, the ministry had a Cassidy Refugio. She, she initially came up again because she, she just, you know, looking for something to do on a, on a, uh, on a Thursday. But she became fascinated by the scriptures. And the word of God completely changed her. The power of the Holy Spirit transformed her life. She has also been baptized. And I will quote her. She said, my hope in him grows every day because there is a father that loves and cares for me more than anyone ever could. There is so much to be grateful for. I started reading about him and I was like, wow, God is magnificent. <laughs> and I wish you could hear her say it because somehow the way she says it, it just has a little more, uh, just beautiful to hear her say that. Um, those are just uh, a couple of our uh, people, um, of the women who have been changed. There are many, many more people. But we have other dear friends. Uh, I know some of you have followed what we're doing on, on Facebook. We have a, a woman's uh, uh, a class to, to learn Italian, and I have to uh, block everybody's faces out of that. Those are just really dear women who um, were the first Christians they've actually known. They're actually amazed that we're moral people because they think all Christians are like what they see on the worst Hollywood movie ever produced. And, um, and they, they're quite open to... Um, as they get to know us, they become quite open. We get an awful lot of prayer requests. Um, that class, is to, I, I teach it together with, an, uh, with a friend who is from um, initially from a tribal area in Pakistan. She is well-educated. Um, she met, first met Christians when she was in high school. I think she had an art teacher who was a Christian. When she was in university, there were a couple of girls who were Christians who were ridiculed uh, at university, and... Um, uh, a teacher thought that was inappropriate and pointed it out, and uh, they ended up inviting her over for Christmas. And she thought that was absolutely fascinating. And she has said herself now, as time's gone on, she, um, she asked for prayer a lot. We, we created a book which we called the Ramadan Journal. And what the Ramadan Journal is, for every day of Ramadan, we have a quote from the scriptures. So, like, it starts with the theme, God loves you, you know, and then God made the world, and God loves you, and it goes through, you know, we're all sinners, we need a Savior, and all of the scriptures are from the Bible, but um, there's a scripture for every day of Ramadan and something to reflect on, and um, since it's not a Bible, people will take it home and pass it out and say, oh, it's a Ramadan journal, and they're, they're actually all reading the scripture, and uh, we've been asked, where, where did you find these beautiful words, and why didn't you translate it into my language, and things like that, because the scripture continues to touch, touch and transform um, people's lives. Um, would you pray for that friend? Uh, her name it means good news in her uh, mother tongue. Um, it is she, when she says, if I had been born a Christian, I would be a Christian. Um, I think 
you know, we, everybody has obstacles to coming to faith. We need, realistically speaking, those who um, desire to turn to the Lord but come from a background where their family and their entire culture is, uh, is tied up in uh, Islam as, as an identity. Um, those are not insurmountable hurdles, but they're very significant ones, and they need our prayers. Well, we, would you pray for her? Would you pray for others? I could just go on with a long list, but uh, as my husband comes this morning, I just want to say, you know, God is doing great and amazing things. You're not going to see it on Fox or CNN or MSNBC or ABC, but God is doing amazing things. There's so much to celebrate, and thank you, and God bless you for your part in it. Uh, the faithfulness of this fellowship in uh, working with us as missionaries. You know, we did start a long time ago uh, as working in Papua New Guinea. And uh, you have been faithful. You really have been faithful. And actually, as Steve uh, was talking about it this morning, I thought, I thought, why? Why would they do that? And, and you know what? That's the same question that uh, our refugee friends, acquaintances in Sicily ask us, why are you doing this? And uh, I just realized how much I am like them. But I do appreciate that the, this expression of, uh, of the love of God and your compassion for the lost. And uh, so the Lord bless you. And uh, sincerely, we uh, appreciate the opportunity to partner with you uh, in this um, outreach to the Lord or on the behalf of the Lord. Uh, we did bring some magazines that talk about the uh, work in all of Italy that the Lord is doing. Uh, it tells a little bit more about what we're doing at Casa, so please take one. If, if you don't take it home and throw it away, I will have to. So just make life a little bit easier for me that way. Thank you. And uh, again, I do want to greet the folks, uh, brothers and sisters that are at home. Uh, watching over the internet or Facebook or however you do it. Um, you know, when we left uh, Sicily to begin working, uh, left Papua New Guinea to begin working in Sicily, there were two questions. Um, the first was, could we handle it? Uh, in Sicily in Europe, or at least in the rest of Italy, Sicily is referred to as uh, North Africa, and they don't say it like it's a place they want to be. And in fact, when we uh, told our you know, leaders, the European leaders of the assemblies that we were interested in going to Sicily, they uh, were very discouraging. They said, you know, the roads are bad, the water is not certain, and the electricity is very unreliable. And of course, we were thinking, wow, roads, electricity, water, you know, <laughs> why not? And, uh, but they actually wrote a couple of times discouraging us from going and uh, finally, we took a picture, an aerial shot of our village and sent it to them. 
and said, that's where we've been for the last 20 years. And they said, okay, come anytime. And uh, so we got over that first hurdle. And the second um, question I had anyways about serving in Sicily among a largely, you know, Muslim refugees was all my experience has been working with animists, people that, you know, just animists. They don't know about God at all. And I said, how is that going to translate when I, so to speak, when I start working with Muslims? And, um, you know, they have two things in common. One is they don't know, neither one of them believe in a God that knows you by name. And none of them, and neither one of them believe in a God that loves them and that wants to uh, restore relationship with them. So really now, uh, I see Islam as just a more highly organized form of animism. They don't know a real and loving God. And so we want to walk with them, we want to live with them as best we can, and take the opportunities that life provides to direct them towards Jesus Christ through the scriptures. It's uh, uh, bless, the, bless the Lord and thank the Lord that he has uh, given us his word that we could uh, get to know him and understand his thinking. And uh, so uh, even when I was in the jungle in Papua New Guinea, I never really felt like I was a suffering missionary. I enjoy the opportunity that we have in Papua New Guinea and now in Sicily to probably do just what you would do if you were there. And we, we live with people. We try to walk with them through their difficult times. We try to share their, uh, uh, their successes with them and, uh, and do that as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, um, when I look at the big picture, I, I consider really the Tower of Babel. And, you know, um, it really demonstrates our human arrogance of uh, any attempt to approach God on our own merits. No matter what kind of tower we construct, whether it's of our own good works or achievement among men uh, or whatever we do that we think makes us suitable to God, uh, it's just, it's arrogance and it's destined to failure. Our only hope in knowing God uh, is that... um, God comes near to us, that God makes the way for us. We only know God because he first reached out to us. And this is where the relationship between God and fallen creation begins. It begins with God. It's God reaching out to those who are without hope. It is his mission to restore fallen world to himself. As God calls us to himself to know him, to fellowship with him, to walk or do life as his children, he is at the same time calling us into the world. It's God's call upon the church. He sees the lost and the suffering. He's not blind to their suffering. Rather, he sees and desires to meet them. One of our friends, Mustaba, he's from Afghanistan. He tells the story of being caught three different times while he was trying to stow away on a ferry crossing the Adriatic Sea. Each time he got caught, they beat him up, brought him to the police station where he was held overnight. In the morning, the police would take him outside, beat him up again, and then just leave him out on the road. In fact, most of our friends, our refugee friends, migrant friends in Sicily tell us that the, uh, the, the nicest police in all of Europe are in Italy because 
in all the other countries they've been to in Europe, when the police catch them, they throw them in jail overnight. In the morning, they take them out and they beat them. They beat them and say, don't let us find you again. And our friends take it to heart and they get out of there as fast as they possibly can. In Sicily, when the cops arrest you, when the police arrest you, they throw you in jail at night. There's usually not a good place to sleep. They don't feed you. And in the morning, they take you outside and they say, don't let us find you again. And our friends say, gee, that wasn't so bad. And so they tend to stay in Sicily. But they find the, uh, they find the police in Italy more pleasant than in all the other countries. So Mustaba had been caught three times trying to cross ferry, uh, stowaway across the Adriatic Sea, and uh, he had given up hope. He just thought he was going to die there. And uh, then he had, he had a vision of Jesus. He said, I think it was Jesus, because he had holes in his hands. And, and that just gave me hope. And so I tried again. And he, said, and he said, I knew I was in trouble because I was late on the ferry and all the other good hiding spots were taken. taken. And then the, the security comes in and they start looking for people and they grab these other guys. And, and Mushtabah says he knows that he was eye to eye with one of the security guys and the guy just passed him by. And so he thanks God that he got delivered safely to Italy. And now in the, in the grace of God, Kathy and I and people like us are there to be able to tell them to put this into context. That wasn't just a stranger you saw. That's Jesus. That's God reaching out to you. And he has a message for you. What, sh what kind of surprises me, as I've done some reading about this, is that usually there's 10 years for when a Muslim person has a vision, when they hear from God directly about Jesus. It's usually about 10 years from that day until the day that they give their life to Christ. And so we're filling in the gap, so to speak. We're trying to answer the questions that come up along the way so that, that they can uh, have the kind of fellowship with the Father that you and I enjoy. So this is what the Assemblies of God is all about. We are a missions fellowship. We sent missionaries. We didn't send. Missionaries went from the United States. AG missionaries went from the United States into Africa even before we had many fellowships to support them. Missions is a, what we are about, as Pastor Steve has said. Missions to your neighborhood, missions to people across the town and across the world because that is how God has chosen to reach out to the world now. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, and he is still sending his son into the world through the body of Christ, that's you and I. Kids reflect their parents. Our father loves the lost and the dispirited. We end up being the same way. Matthew 9, in Matthew 9, 35, 38, it, it says something about the way that, or really, as I was reading it, I uh, discovered a key to Jesus' ministry among the lost sheep of Israel. 9.35 says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus went to all the cities and villages of Judea and Galilee, all of them. Today, a lot of people do go on tours of the Holy Land to see the places where Jesus walked. 
But those places are only interesting to us today because Jesus was there. At the time, the most notable thing about those places were that they were out of the way and nobody important was there. Think of Nazareth, the, the town where Jesus grew up, where his neighbors tried to kill him when he came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. It's a, it is a, like all the other villages. It's a small and out-of-the-way place. Today it's actually buried under the city of the same name. And I suppose that uh, many of the villages that Jesus visited are a lot like Nazareth, buried and forgotten. Places full of unimportant places, full of unimportant people. In fact, to the Roman rulers, which is the rest of the world at that time, Nazareth and the cities and towns of Judea and Galilee had little more really than commercial value. Pay their taxes and don't cause trouble. In this way, those people are very much like the folks among whom we minister today, people from South and Central Asia and Africa, largely forgotten, certainly unimportant, and only of some commercial value. Be sure, well, you know, refugee work, migrant work in Europe is a big deal, and people are getting rich off of it. The traffickers are getting rich off of it. The, the people that are we have friends that are paying 300 euros a month in a room that the, for an apartment where the door doesn't work, the plumbing doesn't work, and the windows are broken. People are doing very well off of this crisis. But, but that's not God's intent. In Sicily, uh, sorry, you know, God wants to, and so in this context, we're there to demonstrate compassion. In Sicily, we minister among people from Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, the Kashmir, from India, Pakistan, Nepal, Morocco, Senegal, the Gambia, Nigeria, Cote d'Ivory, Ethiopia, and Somalia. So many different languages, so many different countries and cultures, yet there are some similarities. Most of these refugees and migrants are from one of the 72 different sects of Islam. Most of the sects of Islam consider that the other sects are not genuine. And, uh, and often there's war, fighting between the different sects, or religious war between them. But the one thing they all agree on is that Christianity is a misguided religion at best, and we Christians are their enemy, and our only purpose is to convert them. So they're they're one out of three. Well, most of the refugees and migrants are Muslims. There are some Christians among them. And I mean, they're Christians because they're not Muslims. But all of them, Christians and Muslims alike, are survivors. They have crossed deserts, mountains. Many have risked passage across the Mediterranean Sea, the Adriatic Sea. Others have walked thousands of miles. And many have given hundreds or thousands of dollars to human traffickers. They have endured hunger, heat, imprisonment, physical torture, and they have watched their friends die or abandon them to death. In the Revelation, John says, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. I can assure you that no one can tell you how many thousands will arise from the Mediterranean, from the Sahara, 
from the mountain passes of Afghanistan and Iran, whose sufferings and dreams were ended in their attempt to reach Europe. For them, Europe is the goal. The good life of Europe is the goal. And they lost their lives in pursuit of that, that emptiness. To many in the world around them, these migrant families, even when these migrants and refugees, even when their own families have no more than a commercial value. Kathy has told you that some young ladies are sent with the intent that they will support their family through prostitution. Other families send their minor aged children over those journeys, through the desert, across the Mediterranean, over the mountains, only because they feel like if they make it to Europe, the Europeans are unlikely to send them back. So they let their children take those risks. I know Jesus wants to be among these people, and so we want to follow him among them. What did Jesus do when he walked among those whom the world did not value? Again, Matthew 35, 935 tells us that he taught and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And so we teach and proclaim. It's, what, it's the focus of what we do. There is, of course, an important difference. I'm sorry. There is an important difference. And, and um, the difference is, of course, you know, we probably deal with more Muslims than Jesus did because Islam started about 700 years after, after Jesus left. But we are there, but as Kathy pointed out, in Europe we have the freedom to proclaim the gospel. It's, um, again, we make friends with people, we, we walk with them, we share with them. You know, they have these terrible stories of their journeys and, and we set up the Casa de Refugio just as a place that they can come and we can talk and we can share. And during those times, do have Bible studies with people that are interested, and, and we take on all their questions, and we let them ask all their questions, and we talk, and we try to answer their questions from the scriptures. You know, they arrive in Europe, and they need a lot. They need a lot. They, they're rebuilding life from scratch, and really, as a couple, there's not a lot we can give them, and if they're really fortunate, they'll be able to get out of Sicily and go someplace else where the living is better in Europe. But the one thing we can do for them is to get them, is to introduce them to, through Christ, through his word. Because if they can take that with them, then that will support them wherever they go in the world. That will enable them. That will give them the resource they need to really rebuild life in Christ. And so it's very important that we do Bible study and uh, teach them how to be readers of the word. As my son Anthony says, we want to teach them to be consumers of the word. We organized, uh, after one Bible study, I was talking to a friend. His name is Eddie Jada. And he said, Neil, Neil, Neil. I don't know why he does that, but that's his name for me. Neil, Neil, Neil. And so he said, Neil, Neil, Neil. When I left the Gambia and came here to Europe, the only thing I was interested in was making money. I wanted to live the good life. He said, my plan is I'm going to come here, I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to make money. I'll send some to my mother because she took care of me, but I don't care about anybody else. I came here to make money. And now, and now, what am I going to do? Because 
Because who is going to tell the little ones in the Gambia about Jesus? Who is going to tell them the gospel? I have to go back. And so we were there when Eddie got his call to missions. He's a long way from going back to Gambia right now. Right now, he's working kind of like a slave on a dairy farm. But he's, he has God's call in his life. And so I ask you to remember Eddie Jada in your prayers, that, that, that he will fulfill, that God will lead him to fulfill that calling in his life, to go back to the Gambia and, and spread the gospel. What an opportunity. These people, as Kathy pointed out, are coming from places where you cannot freely talk about Jesus. But Jesus is making himself known and is raising up the next, mission, the next generation of missionaries from among them. You had another study, and uh, we organized it among about 20 different of the migrants and refugees. My son Anthony uh, organized it, and he took the, the Bible and divided it up into thirds with overlapping parts. And all these, we, out of the 20 people in the group, he made four groups, and each group got a third of the Bible, and you had to read about like five chapters a day, so that in a month, in three months, we read through, as a group, we read through the whole scriptures. And the requirements were, do your reading, come back next week with a question, and come back next week with something that the Lord spoke to you about. And so we entered this program to read ourselves through the, through the Bible, and we noticed that, you know, after we were into it, that one of the ladies, a Muslim young lady, uh, who obviously didn't know the Lord, got stuck with Leviticus. And so we were kind of wondering, gee, what's going to happen when she comes back? And uh, so the next week we, we, got, we started our Bible study, and before we really got study started, she said, I get it, I get it. God is so holy, you can't come near him without a sacrifice. And Jesus Christ is that sacrifice. And we were like, yeah, I never got that out of Leviticus. But, you know, but, the, but Jesus wants to save. Huh? He is always at work. And so uh, she met Jesus that day. And through our Bible studies, other people have, have met Jesus and are now followers and, uh, and so I, so thank you. Bless the Lord for that. So Jesus was going through all these villages and town, and what was he doing? He saw that the people were distressed and dispirited, and he felt compassion for them. You know, when you read through the New Testament, look at the times when Jesus, when he healed people, when he fed people, when he raised the dead even when he taught. The scriptures tell us that just before he did this act of God, he felt compassion. Compassion is who God is. When he introduced himself to Moses, he said, I will have compassion. Compassion is the hallmark. It is the mark. It is, it's who God is. It's a reflection of God's character, and so it's a reflection of his church. And uh, so we engage in acts of compassion. We do do laundry. We, we have a laundry facility at our, at our casa. Guys come in and they, take, they do their laundry. They take showers. We play games. As Kathy pointed out, we do tr Italian translation. We help them with their shopping. We eat with them. We spend time with them. Again, we do what you would do. 
We would do the very kind of same things you do and watch as the Holy Spirit works in these people's lives. So Jesus was compassionate, acts of compassion, and so we try to follow Jesus' model. We are not there. Believe me, we are not there to end hunger. We're not there to make sure everybody has a house. We're not there to make sure that everybody has a doctor. But compassion is, is, is the pulpit from which we preach the gospel. And so it is important. And even more important, even, I think, I do. I, you know, uh, sometimes more important than paying their rent or, or, or bringing them food uh, or taking them to the doctor is that we spend time with them. We demonstrate, just like as Kathy said, you know, Jesus called out to Zacchaeus and spent time with Zacchaeus. And people need to see that they are important to God. They can get food anywhere, but, but only God values them like God does. And so we need to replicate that. We need to follow that. And so uh, we try to follow Jesus in, in his acts of compassion. And any of you can join us in this. And so... Jesus went to all the villages and, and, and towns of Judea and Galilee. He had compassion on them. He taught about the kingdom and he proclaimed the gospel. And then what does he say? What does he tell his disciples? And Pastor Steve, I'm going to close with this. He said, look up for the fields are ripe with harvest and beseech the Father that he send workers into the field. And so this morning, I beseech you, send us back. Send us back. Let us go and do what you would do. Let us be part of what God is doing to, to reach those that nobody else cares about. God bless you, and thank you very much. Pastor Steve, bless the Lord.